This is a post-Christian podcast. to Air of Grievances. I'm Caleb, and I'm sitting here with a very good friend of mine, Curtis Hanna. Hello, Curtis. Hey, what's up? Oh, not a lot, just chilling. Uh, Kurt and I just got done with our weekly ritual of going to Revolution Church, and uh, decided to come over here and record a little episode for Air of Grievances, because you've been on Revolution Church, the main podcast, multiple times in the... In the uh, Afterglow segments where the congregation responds to the sermons or the talks, and then you've also been interviewed on a Meet Your Congregation episode of that. So you're not not a virgin to the podcast. No. Yeah, and also I was on Sacred Collective. Uh, oh, yeah. Five or six times? Yeah, quite a few times. Yeah, mm-hmm. you led a talk at Sacred Collective. That one was on Christian Anarchy that you led, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Cool, yeah. So you've taught me quite a bit about... Uh, anarchy and about um, also something else that we wanted to start our conversation today with is the topic of the death of God theology. Yeah. And in particular, you started turning me on to one, what's his first name again? Uh, Thomas. Thomas J.J. Altizer, mm-hmm. uh, well known theologian in the uh, death of God scene. Yeah, I guess as it were. I guess, yep. Was his most prominent work in the '60s? I guess or he, he he rose to fame in the '60s. Yep. Yeah, he got very popular in the '60s, but he continued putting out books all the way up until a couple of years ago. Cool. And just he passed away about a year ago. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm. Do you want to just give our listeners a, qu- a quick-ish uh, introduction to what Death of God's theology is all about? Yeah, I'll try my best. So, in the 60s, in the United States, there were a lot of people that believed in God, uh, like, a lot more percentage-wise than do right now. Mm. And what he was trying to propose is a way in which you could still stay within the Christian uh, narrative and within the Christian culture, but believe the narratives of God differently and he was particularly struck with the narrative in Christianity that talks about how uh, in Philippians that God decided to become a human being and to empty himself uh, utterly and to leave heaven and to become uh, a human and to be not to be a ruler on earth, but instead to take on the form of a servant Mm -hmm. and even to be obedient unto death. Mm -hmm. And I think what Altizer uh, is trying to do is to try to bring an imminency to the conversation of the Christian narrative, where a lot of times... Uh, it's deemed that the Christian worldview is very otherworldly and is focused on metaphysical things like the afterlife uh, or God intervening or 
the idea that maybe there's a satanic force that's at work and at play mm-hmm. and doing things. And he tr- wanted to try to take those concepts mm-hmm. and figure out how to transfigure them and put them through the wormhole mm-hmm. and to say, yes, that did exist at one point, but that whole transcendent realm died with God when he decided to leave heaven. And it now is that whole divinity is now within creation itself because God was too big to just fill up one human being in Jesus Christ, but that God is continuously becoming more and more imminent in the world throughout history. Mm. And that, we should welcome that change instead of resist it. Mm. So we should, in our hearts, will the death of God and not just Mm. be okay with it, but to be happy with the fact that the transcendent and the metaphysical realm Mm. is now in the world, in us, and that we as human beings can have this divinity within us and organize amongst ourselves find solace amongst ourselves mm-hmm. and we don't have to look elsewhere yeah for that sort of meaning in life cool yeah i know that for me personally when you first started to explain some of those concepts to me um and present that i guess that story or that narrative of an omniscient of you know the old testament yahweh choosing to empty himself you know into a human and and um, and then we can maybe talk a little bit later too about the third member of the uh, Christ, the Christian understanding of the Trinity about about the Holy Spirit's role in this story. Uh, but when you first presented this narrative to me, I could see it. Um, I could uh, I could see how it could be approached, being understood as either you know a literal kind of epic. Um, you know, in which like God did once exist and then chose to die um you know if if, approaching it i guess from the presumption that there is or ever was a literal god but then also on a second level on a level that i tend to gravitate towards more um approaching that not only metaphorically but as a transfer the transformation of god in death as paralleling the transformation of my understanding of god as more of a as a metaphor and saying metaphorically to me, my understanding of God has died, and been resurrected, or and been um, reborn, or, or, or uh, transfigured in the form of Christ. Uh, I talk on this podcast a lot about Christ as an archetype, and about to me the lack of importance as to whether or not the Bible and the stories that were presented within the Bible were literal or historical. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so I just, I'm curious, do you think, uh, and maybe this is, will, will just be speculative for you, but uh, do you think that there are a large amount of people who uh, embrace and, and regularly engage with Death of God theology who see it as, as a literal story versus the percentage of people who see it as, uh, as being representative of their own or even of the cultural, underst- our old understanding of God dying or our personal understanding of God dying? Yeah, so Altizer makes a big deal about that cultural shift where he sees within mainstream culture, uh, even before his own time, uh, through what he calls prophets, uh, Christian prophets even, of uh, Nietzsche 
and Hegel, uh, he says that they were able to see the writing on the wall that the human or Western culture, uh, for the most part, was trans uh, in a period of transformation where they were going from believing that the world uh, makes the most sense if you have this interlay of a divine God that's up in transcendent realms and that through the scientific revolution, through the Enlightenment, uh, we've gotten to a place where we're now believing that uh, imminency is is where it's at yeah. instead. Mm-hmm. And he definitely, from what I've read, Altizer doesn't make as much of an emphasis on his own personal transition from going from believing that God did, in fact, exist to then later thinking that he didn't exist ever and that was just in his imagination. Yeah. But he does seem to make that tie-in with culture at large. Yeah. So I think he th- tries to thread a needle and perhaps it was because of the fact of the culture that he grew up in mm-hmm. where it was in, I think, like the 95 percentile of Americans thought that God still wasn't wow. and a real entity. Yeah. Whereas these days, that's not as much of a popular opinion. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I think amongst millennials, there's more millennials that don't believe in God than there are people that do believe in a Christian God specifically. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so he might have changed his mind later in his career, but I haven't seen evidence of that. But yeah, he might have just wanted to stay consistent to what he said in the first place. Yeah. But I do find it interesting because it's a way in which uh, the the death of God theology at large, which he was just a part, seems to be a way in which we can bridge some gaps between the normative Christianity yeah. and a radical Christianity and have discussions with one another about narratives and ideas yeah. and not necessarily have to have this very dualistic break and separation of these are people that are atheists, these are people yeah. that are Christians, and they don't have dialogue except for occasionally debating one another mm-hmm. in a fairly hostile back and forth. Right, yeah. Uh-huh. And I feel like with um, people who, tend to, who, who try to operate in those spaces of bridging gaps between you know, uh, Christians and atheists, like you're talking about how things can get hostile... Uh, I feel like people who are working in those spaces a lot of times can get accused of of being two-faced and saying, oh, when you're around Christians or, oh, when you're maybe even in the case of some speakers, like they can be accused of saying, well, when you're talking to a a Christian group, you're being two-faced because you're you're using terms like God and Christ and salvation, resurrection. But then when you're speaking with um, a crowd that is more majority atheists, then you don't use, you shy away from those terms, maybe even replace some of those terms with more secular terms. I know that that's something that I try to do, and where I'm trying to do, I'm not good at it yet, yeah. but like with the revolution, that's something that I really would like to do. But I think it's more, it's, it's less being two-faced and changing your story, changing your tune. I think it's more like code switching in language, like when someone maybe changes the dialect that they're using based on the group of people that they're addressing. Like if you're if you're speaking in a legal setting, if you're addressing a judge in court or something, the type of language and the terms that you use, even though the message that you're trying to convey may be the same as a message that you're trying to convey to 
to someone in a colloquial environment, um, you're, you're going to use a different vocabulary with, with those with those different groups of people. Something else that I think we could talk about is how individual understandings of God or theories of God are are always going to be shaped by cultural understandings of God. And so as cultural understandings shift, which of course are influenced by thinkers or, or prophets who are engaged in observing how humanity has perceived God and, and maybe predicting how what trajectory that is on and that's going to take us to, uh, maybe there could be an argument in there that, um, let's say if, if, a, if a society believes in Zeus, then in essence, they uh, an individual might respond to beliefs about Zeus or say, oh, this ha- or that happened because of Zeus or because we didn't perform these rituals or did perform these rituals, which is, I guess, just a silly example and way of saying if there is no belief in God, then perhaps that God does not exist. And maybe a more dramatic way of putting it is saying that that God died because it is not sustained by the collective belief in it. Does that make sense? Yeah, and so Nietzsche was the guy that said God is dead. Mm-hmm. And even within the the narrative that he portrayed that term coming out of, uh, he explicitly... Uh, it came out of the mouth of a character that he made up called a, the fool, mm-hmm. and that fool was uh, quick to see that the popular culture uh, or the people that he was speaking to in the village. Mm-hmm. He's quick to see we killed him. Yeah, right? but he was quick to see that they all were laughing at him, mm-hmm. even though they themselves didn't even really believe in God anymore. They were like, "Who is this guy?" And the fool says to the villagers. Well, maybe this message is coming a little bit too early for you guys to mm. really grasp. But I think it it is true that Nietzsche predicted, because he could see the writing on the wall, that society at large was going to more and more stop needing a god figure mm. in order to make sense of reality. And uh, But yeah, like you had just said, um, he he asked the question... What are we going to do about this? Because this is a monumental shift in yeah. human understanding mm-hmm. of what life is about. Yeah. And if God dies, then do we ourselves need to become gods in order to somehow uh, rectify the the hole that is left? Mm-hmm. Because there is an immense amount of emptiness mm-hmm. that comes from this. Mm-hmm. And if we as a society just go from believing in God to not believing in God without having some sort of uh, ritual or narrative Mm -hmm. to address that change, Mm -hmm. then probably what's going to happen is that this God hole is going to be attempted to get filled up with things that maybe aren't Mm -hmm. the best things to fill it with. Interesting. And I think that Altizer's point was we should take this philosophy that Nietzsche's uh, thrown down and we should embrace it into theology and that we should recognize that saying that God is dead is healthy and that it's the way that our own minds really process reality when you get down to the thick of it and that it's going to continuously happen and that we collectively need to understand that we can take on that role of God Mm. And 
Uh, and that is sort of talked about in Acts, where uh, Pentecost happens and the Holy Spirit comes into the body of believers, and then they become the body of Christ mm. in living form. Mm. When you talk about um, us taking over the role of God, what all do you think, what tasks go into that role? Was it being like the the kind of a, a, a parental figure um, assigning punishments for bad deeds and rewarding good deeds? Was it setting um, setting uh, incentives for you know being good and, and, and getting an afterlife? Was it motivating people to do the right thing? Is it, is it all wrapped up in morality? Do you think like what is that role that needs to be fulfilled now that there's a hole where God once was? Yeah, I think a lot of it is uh, morality, that God was setting rules for people to abide by. Mm -hmm. And the main rule, or the, there were 613 rules that uh, God in what we call the Old Testament laid down for the Jewish people. And those are still being followed uh, to various strictness in uh, Judaism currently. And some of them also bleed through into Christianity as well. Mm -hmm. They're a lot more selective, obviously. But uh, the idea is that the basis and the foundation by which we built a building of what morality and ethics looks mm -hmm. like is now that foundation is gone, and we need to figure out a new one. Mm -hmm. And this old one was very much... I know that God did change his mind and transitioned when getting pushback, but for the most part, it was a dominant entity that had transcendence telling uh, groups of people, here's kind of the line in the sand, don't cross this, don't do that, don't wear clothes with two different types of cloth, <laughs> right. and, and all of these different things. Uh, but now that that foundation's gone, we need to create a new solid foundation mm. to build on top of yeah. and that foundation cannot be hierarchical because this god uh essence is within all of us as humans mm. and so we need to collaborate together somehow and figure out a way in which we can build some new foundations mm -hmm. as to what's good what's bad and not have those tied to metaphysical beliefs from the past but to have them fully looking to the future and, you know, hopefully there'll be eons and, you know, millennia of human history that goes on from here and that we need to start those firm foundations now yeah. so that they can be built on later. Hmm. Do you think that having that, that old understanding of God, was that a crutch or did humanity have to learn X amount of things over you know x amount of time to get us to where we are now to where we no longer need that crutch or do you think it was just kind of a primal uh default understanding um i could see god having been a construct um that was that just kind of got out of hand sort of thing you know being almost an archetype of uh, uh, uh of justice well we need to personify that archetype of justice so let's call it god let's call it the father let's you know call it whatever uh, I, I just wonder what do you think do you think something changed in humanity's capacity to function without that uh that man in the sky 
Or why? Do, what do you think brought us to this point now to where we don't have that or we don't need that anymore? Uh, well, Altizer studied Buddhism uh, before a lot of his uh, deep dive into Christianity and studied it academically. And his belief is that this whole context of what we're talking about of God is dead really only fits in with the Western paradigm. Sure. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Eastern paradigm, there's a very healthy tradition and there's obviously very, there's a lot of variety within all Eastern religions, Mm. but there's veins of it that have always consistently said that the, the foundation of the world is the fact that everything is empty Mm. and I think I don't know the reasons why the Western civilization decided, well, we can't have this emptiness thing as the foundation. We need to have some sort of deity figure mm. and some sort of uh, devilish figure to counterbalance it and and whatnot. But in the in some Buddhist traditions, there's this idea that their whole Dharma, their whole writings, their whole teachings, are all, when you get down to it, empty of form. And they don't have anything, any characteristics by which you can say, this exists, that exists. And in the Western culture, we see that emptiness as a demonic force, as a negative force, that nothingness means badness. But in the Eastern tradition, nothingness results in compassion because you... That's the only emotion that is left when there is no uh, hard sort of bad or good figure uh, in the world. We're all empty. We're all interconnected. We all should be compassionate on to every single component in the whole shebang. And so his Death of God theology... I don't think even is needed or applies to a lot of Eastern Mm. cultures, but Mm. it seems to apply to most all Western cultures, Mm -hmm. but to try to get back to this emptiness. And that's uh, why he likes this verse from Philippians so much is that it says explicitly that God emptied himself, Mm. that there was a God and then it became empty again. Wow. And that, that life cycle of there being a God and then becoming empty can maybe be the resolution note that always was there in uh, Buddhist tr- traditions. Mm-hmm. Wow, cool. Is there do you, do you think, is there a similarity in um, the idea of God emptying himself into Christ and Christ emptying himself into the spirit? Or into, how did you? Maybe this is a better way to approach this question. How did you describe it to me when you said that? kind of like the father became the son and then the son became the spirit who which is kind of i guess essentially now allowing the body in air quotes to use some christianese to become god or to represent god or, or be god to each other yeah i think it's just that these different parts of god existed in a more uh subsequent fashion mm-hmm. rather than existed all okay. at once mm-hmm. in that there was God the Father, God the Father became Christ Jesus the Son, and then that Christ Jesus the Son 
transitions then to, into the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. in a chronological fashion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't think that I'm misrepresenting him, but I, I very well could be on that. Mm-hmm. But it's very much different than the idea that uh, Jesus was always God, and then when his body died, he went and his body came back, and then his body went up into the sky and mm-hmm. rejoined the Father and the Holy Spirit was always at play in all of this. Mm. And then the Holy Spirit came down, kind of like a tag team yeah, sort right. of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm going to tap out. Now you go in. Yeah, right. <laughs> all right, go into all of that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have always had difficulty really grasping what the Trinity meant. And yeah. this narrative yeah. makes a lot more sense to me, even mm. though I don't. I I don't really believe that there it was a god that ended up leaving heaven and heaven is gone now. Uh I don't think that god ever did exist similar to the the Buddhist mentality, but I feel like that narrative is somewhat of an escape hatch narrative. Yeah. That it's a seed that you could plant in to someone mm-hmm. that doesn't believe or that still believes in the trinity still believes in normative christianity but it's sort of a a path that they could maybe start following Mm. to escape that sort of what i think of as a a negative way of viewing Mm. the world that's an interesting question is like does this uh theology most help people who are still in a literal more uh evangelical understanding of Christianity, because I know for me, I left that understanding of Christianity, um, and then was introduced to this, and was like, "Wow, that's a really beautiful story, beautiful way to look at it." Do you think that there are people who this could be helpful to, who like like you said, as an escape hatch, who you could like almost <laughs> evangelize to them, to hand them a tract, and be like, "Hey, bud, good news, God is dead." <laughs> like, do, do, do you think is there any place for for someone to kind of absorb? this theology and and step away from it with with a more deconstructed understanding of christianity yeah i think that it's a helpful narrative to both people that are still in normative christianity and people that never were a part of it at all ever at all yeah because of the fact that it's a way to interact with christian narratives Mm -hmm. that in my opinion, is a healthy way of interacting with them. And it acknowledges the fact that, uh, I think Nietzsche specifically says in his story, do you not smell the rotting Mm -hmm. flesh of God? Like, there's a whiff in the air, even if you've never been a part of Christianity at all. There's a whiff in the air that, shit, we don't have any fucking foundations anymore. Yeah, And that's able to be seen and smelled by anyone in our culture Mm. and the rallying cry here is hey we need to make something new yeah we in a and altizer was also big on apocalypticism that jesus was an apocalyptic prophet Uh talking about how the time right now is extremely important the kingdom of god is at hand yeah it's like it's here already. You just can't see it. And Altizer was trying to bring that same sort of passion mm. about the present into the actual present. And I think that that's a message that 
people that have never been involved with Christianity at all can also appreciate is, hey, this is a book and a, a worldview that has shaped our culture for a long time. Let's engage with it some, but not have any sort of need to be bound by what it's saying, but we can use it as a jump off point to figure out a way in which we as a society can be better to one another and figure out a path forward Mm -hmm. that's inclusive and lay some foundations as to how we organize amongst one another and how we define what's good and bad. Cool. Yeah. Do you, do you think that, um, that practically that like realistically there could be a sustainable form of Christianity that, that disregards any sort of existence of an afterlife? I sure damn hope so. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. I just wonder what that would look like, and I just know that that's such a crucial part of the motivation of, of, of a lot of people who are in, let's say, most forms of evangelical or fundamentalist Christianity that I'm that I've come into contact with. I know that I, I really don't want to use broad strokes to, to describe you know people who I don't even know, but but uh, yeah, the whole idea of like, well, then what's the point? You know, Christ died in vain if there's not you know any afterlife without any heaven sort of thing. And it can be you know comforting to think, oh well, I'll see all my loved ones in the afterlife. But um, wouldn't it be nice just to have a, a version of Christianity where if there was an afterlife, it was just a pleasant surprise and it wasn't. Just like the sole motivating factor behind all your uh, devotions to the religion. Yeah, that would be fantastic. I mean, that's uh, something I'm actively hoping to cultivate a little bit by staying within the church currently and not believing in an afterlife. Yeah. I think that, that the only way that it could flourish is if there's people actively trying to make it flourish. Mm. Because mm-hmm. it's not going to happen from the outside, mm-hmm. Out- and uh, yeah, but also I found a cool little tie-in to the term "emerging church." It was actually based on, or the first instance that I've been able to track down of it being referenced was in 1969 in Minneapolis. There was a U.S. Congress of Evang- Evangelism, mm-hmm. and it was called by. F- uh, by Billy Graham, the Minneapolis mayor welcomed everyone to the city. It was pastors and lay people from all 50 states. And there was a talk given there uh, by a, name, a guy named Bruce Larson. And he mentioned that we as a church need to stop thinking that we're in the end times. Yeah. And that it's years away or months away that this whole earth experience and experiment mm. is going to just be obliterated and we're going to go to the next thing. Mm. It's like disposable. Yeah. So instead of thinking as last day's church, he was saying we should think of ourselves as just now emerging. Yeah. Like we're, we had 2,000 years to experiment and we kind of got some things right and now we're, we should start emerging into what the church going is going to become yeah. in the next 10,000 years yeah. or longer. And that's that loss of a uh the loss of the end times being a central organizing and rallying uh cry for the church. Yeah. 
that same sort of spirit is something I'd like to see applied to the afterlife as well. Yeah. Where we don't, we're, a, uh, we're emerging and we're also here right now and that's pretty fucking important. So let's focus on the here right now. Totally. As, uh, as paramount over anything that will happen later. Yeah. Yeah. That's really powerful. That's something that I take from humanism. I guess there are different ethical reasons uh, to arrive at this conclusion that the here and now and, and helping your helping your neighbor, quote unquote, or your fellow help, fellow human is way more important than you know trying to to make people say the sinner's prayer type of thing. Because I mean, even if you still believe in an afterlife and all that, and you still believe in the end times and all these things. I think it is really hard to argue against uh, a personal ethic that puts a whole lot of importance in helping the people around you and being focused on what what is right here and right now. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and also kind of tying the humanism and the apocalypticism together. Mm-hmm. I think there is a strain of humanism. I don't know how wide it is, but it says that humans are good and that they will triumph over evil. And it's just a definite thing that will occur. Whereas I think the apocalyptic message is life's pretty chaotic and we don't know the way the future is going to go. And we need to jump in and try to grab the reins as best we can and try to change the whole world for the better. Because we're foundational to what happens after us Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so whereas humanism might some of it might be just like a little bit too passive in my opinion yeah where it's just like i just believe in the goodness of people and those people will get it figured out Mm -hmm. it's like no we're the people yeah like we're the ones we're like we're not gonna be saviors as individuals but we could become communities of salvation for huge swaths of people that live right now and people that live after us. Yeah. And we should try to take that responsibility in our hands and do some shit and get some things fixed. Right. Mm-hmm. Build the kingdom. Build the kingdom. Yeah. Build it right here, right now. Yeah, when I was when I was still entrenched in, or coming out of uh, Christianity, or that, that form of Christianity that I was in, the more traditional form, that's something that I picked up on uh, or that I started to get into even then was the idea of, of building the kingdom here now and, and how Christ said the kingdom of heaven is in your hearts. You know, it is in your hearts. And um, you know, just that idea of, of building the new Jerusalem, yeah. as it were. And also, speaking of the afterlife, I think the most healthy way that I have been able to formulate thinking about the afterlife is the fact that our actions influence the people around us uh-huh. and those people influence others uh-huh. and so the ripple effects of it one human being's life is very vast yeah. and it could be a whole tsunami instead of just ripples in a pond yeah uh depending on how influential you are and if you can harness that potentiality for good uh you really could live forever mm. or you could you could harness that power for bad and live forever as well Mm. and either way there is going to be a remnant of your life Mm. uh trickling through humanity as it goes forward and in that way you are always going to be immortal wow 
unless you never came in contact with anyone. Mm-hmm. You know, you are going to live immortally in the minds and actions, uh, some of it conscious, some of it subconscious in other people. Yeah. So probably a good idea to uh, train yourself and be conscious of the fact that your actions matter and you should do the best instead of do poorly or do nothing. Yeah, that's beautiful. Well, Kurt, I think we've all learned a lot here today and solved most of the world's problems. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. So uh, thanks for coming on, Kurt. Yeah, anytime. Thanks for having me. Uh, And keep doing this podcast. I really enjoy listening to it and have learned a lot from you as well. Oh, hey, uh, do you want to plug any uh, activism stuff? Oh, sure. Uh, So I'm... Currently starting a group called Republicans Against Marijuana Prohibition, RAMP, and I also am active with a group called Restore the Fourth Minnesota, uh, and that second one specifically is about the Fourth Amendment and trying to create a group that uh, supports and defends the Fourth Amendment in the same way that the Second Amendment is supported and defended by people like the NRA or Minnesota Gun Owners Caucus. And yeah, other than that, a former nonprofit that I worked at that I co-founded, Sensible Minnesota, is doing a lot of great work doing education for people in Minnesota about medical cannabis and about drug policy in general, and I just suggest checking them out. Cool. Thanks, Kurt. Thanks. That was a post-Christian podcast. (laughs) Ha ha ha!